Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to another edition of Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, I want to talk about something that I actually started talking about a few weeks ago, which is laughter and the elusive nature of laughter. And it is a subject that is very near and dear to my heart, considering that's how I supported my family and made a living as a comedy writer. So uh, laughter has always been something that I've always studied and yet has always been a mystery to me. And uh, an event came up a few nights ago that kind of rekindled my interest in the topic, and so that's what I wanted to share with you today. And that is that here in Los Angeles, at the Amundsen Theater downtown, which is one of the big theaters, they did Peter Pan That Goes Wrong which basically is a sequel from the play that goes wrong. And I saw the play that goes wrong when it opened on Broadway. And if you're not familiar with it, it is, uh, <laughs> it is a play that goes wrong. It is a murder mystery where every possible mishap that could ever conceivably happen all takes place in the course of this two-hour show. And it was uh, created by some brilliant, hilarious improv people in England. It was done originally on uh, the West End, and it came over to New York and was a huge, huge hit. Sidelight, it didn't surprise me that it was a huge hit because it was a comedy and people were flocking to see a comedy. Uh, I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a couple of seconds because lately the American theater has been going so overboard to be responsible and to do plays that involve social injustice and diversity, and all of that is wonderful. And all of the voices that haven't been heard do indeed need to be heard in certain contexts. So I'm fine with all of that, except 
that it swung so far to one side that people aren't going to see these plays and theaters are shutting down or are canceling seasons. And you go, well, you know, maybe people just want to see comedies. Maybe people don't want to see gut-wrenching performances. Maybe they want to be uplifted or entertained. So I personally don't understand why there aren't more comedies. And I'm not exactly an objective bystander in this because I write comedy plays. And happily, uh, I'm starting to get uh, a number of productions all over the place. Uh, If one of my plays is in your area, please go to see it. But still, the point is that comedies on stage are a big draw. And the play that goes wrong did super well. So I was in New York, and I went to see it, and I want to say... I laughed my ass off. I can't remember when I laughed that often and that hard at any theater production. Probably some Neil Simon plays way back when, but boy, this was just hilarious. It was an absolute masterclass in comedy. And the thing is, they did not miss a trick. They had slapstick, they had crazy props, they did verbal gags, there were puns. It it was relentless, just one thing after another, and it came rapid fire. It was just brilliant. I absolutely adored it. And I thought at the time, okay, finally, here is something that is bulletproof. And a couple of years ago, I was talking to one of the producers of The Play That Goes Wrong, and I mentioned that to him. And I said, this must be amazing because every single night you must hear gales and gales of laughter. And he said, most nights, yes. He says, but every so often, for whatever reason, the timing is just a shade off and it doesn't work. It kind of lays flat. And I was stunned. I thought, man, if ever something was bulletproof, it is this. And I guess the point is you have to go on the ride because if you're enjoying it and it's working for you, then you are going to laugh uproariously for the entire two hours. But it's not a guarantee. Okay, so that's the backstory. A few years ago, I saw the play that goes wrong. And then I saw that they're doing the Peter Pan play that goes wrong. That had been on Broadway, and that, too, had been a big hit. And it was coming out to Los Angeles. I was very excited. I went and bought a ticket. They're not cheap. And to go downtown during rush hour... On a weeknight in Los Angeles, you have to really, really want to see something. I mean, you need to desperately want to see something because the traffic is 
an absolute ordeal. So I did that. I bought my ticket, drove down there, took a couple of hours, but I finally got there. And, you know, a general rule is it shouldn't take you longer to drive to the theater than it takes for the entire performance, be that as it may. It's another sidelight. So anyway, I was so primed to love this. I mean, it's been a rough year, we can all admit, and the chance to sit in a theater with a thousand other people and have one belly laugh after another was very inviting. So I was absolutely primed to love this show. And it begins, and most of the people who were in this particular performance were the originators. So you're seeing the A-list actors Plus, as a special guest star, Neil Patrick Harris was in it. That guy can do just about anything. He is truly amazing. So I'm sitting there watching it and there's sight gags and stuff. And I'm going, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of funny. Yeah. And people around me are laughing. And it, for whatever reason, it just, didn't work for me. It's not the performances. The performances were great, incredibly skillful actors. And all of the gags were extremely well done. But to me, it just felt like a sequel. It just felt like I was seeing variations of the same gags that I saw before. And when I saw them originally, they were very original and unexpected. And I laughed. And now, as I watched it, it was just kind of, yeah, okay, this is funny. And and I appreciated it. And I would recommend it to anybody if it's ever playing in your area. But it just didn't work for me. And it's kind of like when you went to early superhero movies and there was all these CGI dazzling effects and crazy fight scenes in the air and buildings crashing and explosions and you just sat in your chair with your eyes wide open, like, wow, this is unbelievable. And by the 30th (laughs) superhero movie, where even though the effects have been improved upon, it still just felt like, uh, okay, this again, and oh yeah, all right, and now the world blows up, and ho-hum, it just, it just, really didn't work for me. And I talked to a friend of mine who loved it. Doug McEwen is his name. He's a very, very funny comic novelist. And if you were a reader of my blog, he was kind of a regular commenter. He's seen it like six times. And he's also seen the play that goes wrong. 
And he says he has huge belly laughs every time he sees it. And he pointed out certain gags. And he said, you didn't go crazy over this gag? And you didn't have a belly laugh over that bit? No. It's the kind of thing where you say, all right, well, the reason is because I'd seen it before or a variation of it before. But then I thought, how many other instances where I've seen something before or I've seen the same show and I do laugh? And I laugh just as much seeing the 15th rerun of a Honeymooners episode as I did the very first time. Going back to the Peter Pan play that goes wrong. And there were some great physical bits. I didn't laugh. Meanwhile, there are some great physical bits that Buster Keaton has done and Laurel and Hardy have done that I laugh every single time. It's kind of weird. And it also reminds me of when you see a movie trailer for a comedy. Oftentimes, for a comedy, they will put the best jokes in the trailer. And I recall when David Isaacs and I had our movie Volunteers starring John Candy and Tom Hanks, and when they put together the trailer, they put in some of our best jokes. And I protested. I said, you're killing these jokes. When people actually see the movie, and these are supposed to be some of the big tentpole laughs, they're going to die because everyone has seen the trailer already. Here's the amazing thing. When the movie actually ran, those jokes still got big laughs, even though people had seen them in the trailer. I don't know why, but I am now a big fan of you put the best joke in the trailer. Of course, what that means, since most Hollywood studios have figured that out, but what that means is it's a very good barometer for you because when you're watching a trailer and the comedy sucks and the jokes are not that great, then you know <laughs> this is the A material. So if this stuff doesn't work, then good luck. Um, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but... I want to talk about comedy being unexpected. When I was a kid, there was a show, and I mentioned it already once, called The Honeymooners. It starred Jackie Gleason and Art Carney and Audrey Meadows and Joyce Randolph, who is still around as far as I know. She's 112. Um, but this show was very funny. They made 39 episodes of this back in the 50s. And they keep rerunning those episodes over and over again. And there was an episode where Ralph Cramden, 
who was Jackie Gleason, who played a bus driver who lived in Bensonhurst and almost like a slum, uh, was going to go on a TV game show called The $99,000 Answer. He was going to answer questions. His topic was music. And he had a week to prepare. So he rented an old piano and his buddy Norton, played by Art Carney, sat at the piano and would quiz him by playing notes of various songs and he would identify the song and who wrote it or who sang it. But as a quirk, in order to warm up, before he could play any song, Norton had to play da 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 and of course it drove Ralph crazy that he was doing that. So he gets on the show and he says he's going to go for the whole $99,000 and the first question is, what is this song? And it was Swanee River. And he didn't know it. Well, I must have been nine, maybe ten at the time I saw it. I did not see that gag coming. I laughed for five minutes. That absolutely killed me. And in the back of my mind, my bucket list, I wanted to write a show that did that. And so when David and I were on Cheers, we decided to take a risk and basically do a version of the $99,000 answer. And of course, the key to that show is you have to hide the setup because if the audience is ahead of you and guesses where you're going, then the whole thing falls apart. So David and I pitched an idea where Frazier's baby at the time was not speaking and Frazier and Lilith were concerned about that. And so Frazier kept Freddie at the bar for a few days. And then we set up a runner where they put parking meters out on the street. And so every couple of hours, Norm had to feed the meter. So six, seven times a show, Norm would come in and afternoon, everybody, Norm, and we would do one of those Norm entrances. We basically set that up like, okay, that's the running bit. We have to do all of these Norm entrances. And at the end of the show, Lilith comes into the bar and is horrified that Frazier has the baby in this horrible environment. And then Norm comes in and the baby's first word is Norm. It got a 10-minute laugh from the audience. So as a comedy writer, to me, that was a huge feat. And I remember turning to David and saying, never will we do this again. Because if that joke 
didn't work. You're building an entire show to lead up to one payoff. And if that joke doesn't work, you are dead. So that's our sidelight. And that episode is called Breaking In is Hard to Do. And I think it's year seven, whatever. I know, spoiler alert, I've I've ruined it for you. But I don't know, we... We did the show 35 years ago. You probably have seen it by now. Are there comedy shows that you watch over and over? And do you feel that laughter is required? No, it's really kind of comfort food. Although one of the reasons I think people watch MASH over and over again is because the lines were so rapid fire that you missed them or... By the time you see the show again, after not having seen that episode for five years or 10 years or whatever, well, the jokes are funny to you again. When I was a kid, people used to buy comedy albums, vinyl. That's how far back I go, vinyl. But they were big sellers, the button-down mind of Bob Newhart and Shelley Berman and lots of comedians had 33 and a third albums of their comedy routines. And I can never understand why anyone would buy an album when, after they've heard it once and they've heard the jokes, when would they ever listen to it again? Like, how often... Can you listen to the button-down mind of Bob Newhart? And then when I became a student of comedy and when I was trying to break in as a comedy writer, then I bought all these albums and I studied them and I studied the Woody Allen albums and the Bob Newhart albums. I studied the rhythms and I studied how the jokes were set up. I didn't need to laugh again. But for normal people, it's like, why? How often are you going to listen to the same Shelley Berman album? <laughs> for God's sakes. Um, there are other forms of humor as well. Do you laugh out loud when you read a funny article or a funny book? I do sometimes. I remember I was reading Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole, which if you haven't read it, it's my favorite comic novel. There is a laugh on every page. He did not write, well, he... He's no longer with us, but he did not write, you know, the Peter Pan Confederacy of Dunces sequel. Uh, but uh, the the original was, was very, very funny. And I remember being on an airplane and being kind of self-conscious, but I didn't care because it was just so funny that I was laughing out loud. Do you laugh out loud when you read things? I will say this. This was a terrifying experience for me. I understood when I went to the Peter Pan play that went wrong, 
I understood why everybody was laughing and why I wasn't. There was a, a, a movie that came out, oh man, 80s, 90s maybe, called Victor Victoria. And it was done by Blake Edwards. It was a big hit movie starring Julie Andrews. And I went to see that movie in a theater and the audience roared from start to finish. And I didn't find it funny for a second. And I walked out of the theater. I was really terrified because I thought to myself, oh my God, I make a living by knowing what makes people laugh. Clearly, <laughs> I have no fucking clue what I'm doing because I have no idea why people found this funny. And, you know, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to know. So that was a terrifying feeling. So just to sort of wrap this thing up, you just wonder, and it's why laughter is so interesting to me, is how can the same guy who can laugh at a Jackie Gleason scene or a Laurel and Hardy scene I've seen 20 times and yet not laugh at a sight gag brilliantly executed because I've seen the variation before. Okay, there's no real answer to it, but, you know, when you're watching things, maybe give a thought or two to why we laugh and that is this week's Hollywood and Levine. Now, coming up in the next few weeks, I have some really good interviews. You won't have to just listen to me just gab on for a half an hour. You're going to have some very interesting interviews coming up, so stay with us. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to Bruce and Jason Miller, John Wolfert, and if you want to get in touch with me, last time I did a podcast on laughter, I did get a lot of comments from people. One of the reasons why I'm doing, hey, this is a sequel. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking about it. You may have loved the first laughter podcast, and you may think, well, this is just a variation of that. This is just a sequel. What am I bothering with this crap for? Well, Hopefully not. Anyway, Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com, Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. And uh, if you go to Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, you can see my New Yorker cartoons and uh, other nonsense. So come back for some great interviews next week. Thanks so much for listening to Hollywood and Levine. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. 
Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.